Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. In this episode, we conclude our sleep series. This time, we recap on just how important sleep is to our overall physical and mental health and look at the nutritional influences for a good night's sleep. Good evening, and it's the third in the series of our sleep series. So we've looked at why we need a good night's sleep. You will have seen just how important to our overall health, mental health, physical health, overall well-being, that good night's sleep really is. And we've looked at what happens to the body, the biology of the body that repairs itself whilst we sleep. We looked at that in the first two sessions, and we looked at what could be keeping us awake in terms of what we're thinking about. Now, at the moment, we've got a lot to think about and more so than usual in terms of worries and anxieties. So we looked at those thoughts that we have in the daytime and how they might impact our ability to go to sleep at nighttime and how that will affect the quality of sleep we do get. So in tonight's session, we're looking at one of my favourite subjects because we're about talking about food. So we're looking tonight at the nutritional influences for a good night's sleep. Now, some will be quite obvious and you think, well, of course, I know that, of course, it's going to keep you awake. Some maybe will be less obvious because the body is both very simple and extremely complicated at the same time. So it's getting that balance of understanding enough about the body to make informed decisions whilst knowing the effect they will have on your overall body. So we all know, as, as I've said, that we need a good night's sleep for optimal health. And we know that certain things, our thoughts, how we've, how we've moved about during the day can keep us awake. But the type of food that we have through the day can also either help or hinder our ability to have a good night's sleep. And a good night's sleep isn't the amount of time we spend in bed. It's not when we go to bed and the time we go to bed at eight and we get up at eight, we've not had 12 hours sleep if we've lain awake worrying for four of those or we've been up and down in the night four or five times. So a good night's sleep is actually when we go into the different stages of the sleep cycles, the amount of time we spend in deep stage sleep in, 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 I'm not going to go French again, as I did when I tried to say this, NREM movement, when we're in that sleep and when we're in our REM sleep. So the different biological benefits we get from the different stages of sleep are influenced. That's what makes a good night's sleep, not how long we spend in bed. So the things that will be fairly obvious to you, I'm sure, I know you'd be surprised if I didn't mention these things. So things that hinder a good night's sleep, but obviously the main culprits here, sugar, caffeine and alcohol. Some are stimulants and some are smooth suppressants, but they all have a disturbed effect on our sleep. So some may help you to actually drift off to sleep, but will have a more disturbed sleep, but others will actually work to keep you awake, which obviously is not what you want if you're trying to get to sleep. So sugar. I could talk about sugar in its negative connotations in any number of subjects. Um, I think we underestimate just how damaging sugar really is. And when I talk about sugar, it's not me being mean and saying you shouldn't have cakes or chocolates or sweets. If that's what you like and you that's fine if you're in control of that. The problem with sugar is that often we're not in control of our relationship with sugar. Sugar is in control of us. And that's not to say we're to blame for that, not in any way, shape, or form, because actually the biology enables sugar to be in control of us 
and not the other way around. So when it comes to sleep, if we are somebody who likes a lot of sugar and find that we have a lot of sugary food through the day, we will have a disturbed night's sleep. It will affect our sleep quality. But there are some different health issues associated with that as well. Now, obviously, too much sugar affects our blood sugar, but long-term sleep deprivation also affects the body's ability to regulate blood sugar. So it's like a double-edged sword when it comes to sugar. It has a direct effect on blood sugar levels and obviously insulin production. But if you're sleep-deprived, the body's ability to regulate, self-regulate blood sugar levels is, is hindered. So sleep and sugar are actually very closely linked. So when we crave sugary foods, and we're going to come on to this a little bit later, it creates a different cycle within the body, a metabolic and a neurological cycle. So sugar is really in control of us because we can't then control that cycle. And we're going to look at that a bit, a bit later, but it's really linked to this reward center of the brain. And when we are sleepy, when we are tired, the reward center is activated in the same way that it is when we crave more sugar. So if you're tired, you're going to crave more sugary foods. That's just the nature of it. And we're going to look at the biology of cravings a little bit later. But sleep deprivation creates more sugar cravings. You eat more sugary foods, it affects your sleep. You can't sleep again, you're tired the next day, etc. It creates these cycles. The sugar has a direct impact on how well we sleep and also how disturbed our sleep is, but also how tired we are. And then when we're tired, the types of food that we crave, which creates the same situation the following night and the following and the following. Now, coffee, caffeine, tea, not so bad. Tea doesn't contain as much caffeine as coffee, which is why I normally when I talk about caffeine and the nutritional links, I normally associate it with coffee. And coffee has a much stronger caffeine content. So if you have a cup of coffee late in the day, and I say late, it could be quite early in the day, really, because it takes six hours for it to fully leave your system. So that stimulant effect is still going to be taking place. Even if you had a cup of coffee at four o'clock in the afternoon, it could still be activating the stimulus response within your body of suppressing the relaxation response that we should be having at that time of the day. But it does affect people in very different ways. I know people who can happily have a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock at night and they can go to sleep and they have a good night's sleep and they wake up feeling rested. And that's fine for them. Some people are very sensitive to caffeine, so it would affect them very differently. It's about knowing your own body. And many of us will have a, a time of day where we will say that it. I'm not having a cup of coffee beyond that time of day because we know ourselves, we've got to know that actually it's probably going to stay in my system for this amount of time. And I know if I have one at this time, it will keep me awake. So we get to know ourselves and it will be very different to somebody else. So when we try to always match somebody else, somebody we live with, it doesn't often work because biologically we're all unique and no one size fits all with nutrition. That's why mainstream dieting doesn't work because biologically, metabolically, hormonally, emotionally, we're all unique. And so one thing doesn't work with someone in the same way as it does with somebody else. The thing with caffeine is it our body's really clever at having this natural body clock. We wake up, we're alert. We're enthusiastic, hopefully. We are ready to go, raring to go up here. We're firing on all cylinders and energy-wise across the body. We've got energy and motivation to do things. And that dwindles as the day goes on, as our body goes through the stages of its circadian rhythm and gets ready to relax and go into its sleep cycle. 
So when we do that, we will find that we're not actually able to concentrate as much because our eyes are getting tired. We can't take information in. If we're reading, we're perhaps reading the same line over and over again. If we're typing, we've perhaps wrote one word and nothing else for about half an hour. We start to shut down because our body's had enough for the day. Our mind's had enough for the day. And we start to switch into the sleep cycle, which we've discussed previously. And we go into the relapse mode. Caffeine alters that. It tells the body to stay awake. This is why we use it sometimes. Anyone who's ever had a newborn baby will know that you need to do that. And that's fine. For two years of your life, you may need to live on it. And that's fine for a temporary phase. But when people do it as a way when there's not an external reason for it, which is a way of, of, of having these to keep going and keep going and keep going without there being a, a direct reason for a fixed time period, for example, then it's not, it becomes not so healthy and not manageable, not long-term sustainable. So when we affect the body's circadian rhythm, we suppress the sleep cycle. So we suppress going into the relaxation phase and we confuse the body because we're saying time to wake up and be alert and fire back on all cylinders and get the synapses connecting and get things going and get the energy levels going. But it's very false. We don't want to be doing that. So we're forcing ourselves. We're going against the body's natural rhythm. And the body doesn't like us doing that. It has everything just how it likes it. And then we go and change things. And it doesn't like that. We can do, but it doesn't like it when we do it all of the time. So it will start to affect your sleep and that will start to affect your health wine <laughs> any form of alcohol but I, I use wine as the example it could be any form of alcohol really um it may help you relax it may be something that helps you to feel more sleepy it may be something that you need to do as a wind down I mean alcohol and habitual drinking is a different subject um it's often some some crux that we use it's often just a habit that we have and it's just the time of day that we do it and it's fine but when it becomes habitual, it can cause issues. I'm not talking about alcoholism. That's a completely different subject. But just issues with that habitual need to be doing something. We become reliant on that and not reliant on our self-ability to do things. But many people do have an alcoholic beverage, myself included, um, from time to time. And often we will have it as a way of, of relaxing. Now, it will do that. It will relax you. Most of the time, it can send you loopy sometimes, but most of the time it will relax you. It does reduce your sleep onset latency. Now, this is the time it takes you to fall asleep. We've looked at this previously. And there are health associations with a long sleep onset latency. You're lying in bed for a very long time before you go to sleep. The quality of the sleep you eventually have is affected. So reducing the sleep onset latency is good. That's a good thing. But suppressing your REM sleep is not a good thing. Some of the biological benefits we get long term from sleep happen in the REM stage of sleep. So that's not a good thing. Sleep disruptions could wake up thirsty. You could need to go to the loo. You could just wake up for no real reason. You could have a very strange dream. There's all sorts of things that can happen that can cause sleep disruptions as a result of having alcohol before going to bed. We will all know, we've probably all been there. Um, but when again, when that is consistent, say night after night after night after night after night, is then when things become an issue. Nothing is an issue once in a while, once a week, nothing is an issue. But when it's every single day, when it's habitual, the body has to become accustomed to working against itself. And that's when we can start to see some issues with health. Now, this, I think many people will be able to relate to. There is a hormonal link with everything in the body. We are driven by hormones. This is why 
when people feel when they say to me well, I do bond to all my clients and when they say to me I feel really guilty because I, can't, I just can't stop myself and I feel really bad and I feel really guilty and I feel really ashamed because I you know I have I have eaten really late at night oh yes and this really resonates with me Louise because I can find myself if I stay up too late I can find myself with my head in the fridge as I was about to go upstairs to bed and then I'm snacking on something that I've tried to resist all night and then I'm snacking on it and then I do think that that has an effect on how long it takes me to get sleep yeah um, no, definitely thank you for sharing and I think as I say I think it is something that people will resonate with it's interesting that you say it's just as you go to bed as well so you've sat there has it been like a burden on your shoulder through the evening like something calling you you've tried to ignore it and try to ignore it yeah talking in my head yeah you know, you know I'm here you know I'm here <laughs> and I've gone no 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 thinking I'm going to go to bed you know half past nine it's in the mm-hmm. week has to be up early and then I get hooked into a Netflix thing. I binge watch something. And then I think, no, I've really got to go to bed. And that's when I forget that um, voice in my head saying, no, you don't need to eat that. And I just go and eat it. And I shouldn't be eating it at 11 o'clock at night because then I have like, I don't have indigestion, but Mm. it just keeps me awake. Yeah. For too long. Yeah, absolutely. And it will. What type of food would you say is calling you at that time? Um, I'd say if there's any kind of chocolate or cake in the house or if there's like leftovers from dinner, mm. even. Mm-hmm. So like if there's less leftover pasta or mm-hmm. something like that, I will eat it mm-hmm. and I don't need it. I think the leftover thing is often if if you're of a generation where you were kind of told to not waste food, which is a good thing, we shouldn't be wasting food, but not waste food and not leave food. We've kind of had this inbuilt thing yeah. actually we need to eat everything. Um and you know, I can still hear my grandma and my parents saying, Hey, finish your plate. What we're now yeah. trying to say is not to do that, not to worry about leftovers, not to um, not to wait, not to have food waste, but to try to always cook less so there is no leftovers because that mentality of leftovers and worrying that the food is going to go, you know, if I leave it till tomorrow, it'll be ruined, so therefore I may as well just eat it now. You know, it's, it's really common that people do that, you know, they'll, they'll think I'm not going to let it go to waste because it's ingrained in us not to let it go to waste, so they will therefore eat it. Now, the, we then have to have the analogy of ourselves and think, well, is it going to waste by me eating it or what am I doing to myself by eating it? And therefore, you know, what what is the difference between it going either in the bin, which we don't want to, but if we have cooked too much and it is going to go to waste, is it better that it goes in the bin if it's not going to keep then we eat it for the sake of eating it? And it's that mentality of not being feeling we can leave food. I think it's with many people that actually we can't leave it. So leftovers is a slightly different issue to the other foods that you mentioned because they will not go off and they are not, you know, they are not <laughs> perishable particularly. Um, and they are not sort of calling you for any moral reason of saving food, which I think the leftover issue is. And I think that's a different issue that people will quite probably be able to resonate with that whole don't leave food. I must just finish. And my husband does it. He will like, now I'm not wasting it. And then he'll make himself feel quite ill. But it's the point of, well, it can't go to waste. So you know, it's that concept of the cake and the chocolate. 
And that's more of this hormonal link that I mentioned here. We have a hormone that makes us feel full called leptin. And that is when the body is naturally satisfied from the amount of food it's eaten, we will produce leptin. And it will tell our brain that we are full. Remember, it takes our brain 20 minutes to tell our stomach we are full. So there is a time lag. And obviously, we can overeat before that message gets there. The link with sleep is that the tireder you are, the more ghrelin you produce. So if you're tired in the day, you're going to produce ghrelin. Sugary foods are not going to help you get a good night's sleep. We know that sugar disturbs your sleep. We know that sugar disrupts the sleep pattern. So therefore, you're still going to be tired the next day. And the next day, you're going to crave more sugary foods because you're still tired. And so it's that cycle. So being aware of that and just knowing that actually this is hormonal and it's, it's in control of me and taking a moment's decision. When you reach for the fridge at that late night, could you reach for a peppermint tea? Could you reach for a chamomile tea, which makes you feel like you've brushed your teeth? Nobody wants to eat when they've just brushed their teeth. <laughs> it's impossible to eat when you've just brushed your teeth. So having something like that as a, like a palate cleanser takes away that momentary um, hesitation where we give in to the hormones because actually we've just wiped it to one side and made a conscious decision instead. And there are ways of doing it, and I do work with people to work on the ways of doing it. The biggest thing, first of all, is to understand there is no blame. If anyone's to blame, it's the food industry, but there is no blame individually for making those decisions and those choices because your biology is very powerful. The food industry understands that, and they tailor foods to be highly palatable, highly addictive, highly cheap, not nutritious, all the things that create the pleasure and reward center of the brain. So it's not you that's at fault. So there's lots of biology when it comes to sleep. Now we could go into a lot more detail on this, but we're not going to because they'll probably bore you as much as I find it entirely fascinating. So from normal foods that we eat, we get amino acids. And within those, the journey of eating an amino acid, which we get in protein, they go on a journey within the body, we turn into one of our brain's chemical messengers. And those chemical messengers have lots of different jobs to do in the body. One in particular that I always mention when it comes to sleep and mood is tryptophan. And I always say cottage cheese makes you happy. Now you might not think cottage cheese makes you happy, but biologically it does because cottage cheese contains the amino acid tryptophan. Tryptophan, once it's in your body, goes on a journey and it creates a neurotransmitter called serotonin. Serotonin is known as a mood stabilizing and calming neurotransmitter. If we do not feel calm, we can't feel other things. We can't feel happy. We can't feel content. We can't feel relaxed. We can't sleep. Calm is the first thing that has to happen. So we need serotonin as that mood stabilizing calming neurotransmitter but the marvelous thing about serotonin is when our circadian rhythm kicks in and we go into our sleep cycle serotonin converts to melatonin and melatonin is a hormone which helps us to relax and aids sleep so it's a really important amino acid there are many amino acids many and they all do different jobs so i always mention tryptophan because it's marvelous in terms of its diversity if foods it's available in but the foods that help us sleep we've looked at the things that hinder and then we've looked at the hormonal link and the biological link thankfully the list of foods that help us sleep is much bigger than those that hinder it if we avoid everything processed high fat and high sugar 
in the norm. I'm not saying never eat them. That's not my that's not my bag. We all like a Domino's pizzas from time to time. Of course we do. There's nothing wrong with that from time to time. As long as we know it's nutritionally doing us no good whatsoever, then that's fine. We can have that once in a while. We're in control of that. I never say to people, never eat that again. The worst thing you can ever say to anybody, never eat cake again. All they're going to do is want to go and eat cake and hate you for it. So there's no point doing that. But the list of foods that help us eat is much bigger. Anything whole, anything natural, any real food, food that goes off, food that's not pumped full of additives. One thing to consider with food is, has it ever walked, grown or swam? If it's done those things, it's whole and natural. It hasn't done those things, it's been manufactured in a lab. And when we consider that more engineering um, students go into food engineering than actual engineering it's 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 food engineering is huge food engineering is basically taking food and and sort of altering it into something processed and nasty but that is the majority of of what food is these days we have to go out of our way to avoid it being that way but the list of things that are whole and natural is huge we've survived as humans for decades neons without all this processed food so we don't we don't need it we've just become accustomed to it because the food industry has created something so cheap and so convenient and so easy to produce and highly palatable highly addictive activating the pleasure reward center affecting everything else negatively but activating the pleasure reward center so we've got used to that processed high fat high sugar anything that isn't those things basically will help us sleep but there are some specific melatonin-boosting foods. Here are some examples. Banana, kiwi fruit, believe it or not, that is. Cheese, because dairy products contain the amino acid tryptophan. And tomatoes, they're very good at melatonin-boosting. So are cherries, for example, as well. Couldn't fit them all on. But there are some foods that help to boost melatonin levels in the body. So Stephen House recap. Time for a recap. I do like a good recap. So... Basically, things we can do in the day will help us to sleep at night. One of the biggest things we can do in the day is to be physically active. The more active we are, the more tired we are. It makes sense. The more tired we are when it comes to bedtime, our physical body is more tired. Now we're going to talk about our mental, mental um, sort of how awake we are upstairs in a moment. But a tired body will be more ready for sleep. But one of the great benefits of being physically active is the reduction of stress and anxiety, which helps with the next topic of our thoughts. So if we're able to relax relax and produce serotonin, the mood calming and stabilizing neurotransmitter, the much more relaxed we are when we go into the circadian rhythm, we get the melatonin and we're able to enter the relaxation and sleep phase that the body so readily wants to go into, but often we fight against it doing so. We spoke about the sleep onset latency and your thoughts being active late at night last week and how to reframe your daytime thoughts. We spoke about ants, automatic negative thoughts, how to reframe those so that when it comes to lying in bed at night, we're not flooded with negative emotions and events from the day or negative forecasting for the day ahead. We looked at that last time. This is the last of the sleep webinars. Um, so I'm Louise Nasir. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Massier, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk. 
or read her book How Food Shapes Your Child or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 